The lectionary for today offers interesting selections. I'm not saying that they're appealing, but interesting. And let me acknowledge up front, I don't find the mysterious order of Melchizedek and the letter to the Hebrews particularly interesting. And if I'm being really honest, I do not even find all that interesting Mark's discussion of uh, the points made in the Gospel of Mark. But Job, now that, that's interesting. Carl Jung called Job the most important book in the Bible. It's certainly one of the most disturbing, and the competition in that category is stiff. The book of Job has been described as the book that you need when your life experience outgrows your understanding of God. Throughout Hebrew scripture, God's actions are often quite shocking. The destruction of almost all life on the planet and the story of Noah comes to mind. God is not at all shy about ethnic cleansing, incest, patricide, matricide, fratricide, infanticide, genocide. And for those who are interested in defending biblical marriage, well, read the Bible. Incest, rape, lots of prostitutes. It is not a tidy world. But one standard remains true throughout that bloody mess. God's chosen people are protected. And among the chosen people, good people get rewarded and bad people get punished. And one of the ways that you could tell you were a bad person is because you were being punished. Enter Job. Scripture is at pains to tell us that Job is a good person, maybe the best person. We can tell this because he is blessed. His children are blessed. His children's children are blessed. Then, if you recall, God gets into what seems like a silly bet with the devil. Satan bets that he can get Job to reject God. God takes that bet, and the devil sets about to prove God wrong and win the bet at the expense of Job. In rapid succession, Job's family is destroyed. His wealth is destroyed. Everything he cares about is taken from him. And to add insult to injury, he's afflicted with horrible skin conditions that make him an outcast. He started at the top of the world, and within a few short paragraphs, he's sitting in the ash heap of his ruined life. Job's friends have come to console him, in a way. They are, on the face of it, well-intentioned, sympathetic, caring. Job's neighbor Elihu gives a lengthy discourse on what God does and why. It sounds very good. Job's sin must be great because his punishment is so great. The only problem is that this friend is entirely wrong. Job has not sinned. Through this entire ordeal, Job has never doubted God. Now God enters the picture, and this is where this morning's reading picks up. God asks a question. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without wisdom? Well, that would be Job's well-intentioned friend Elihu, who has been holding forth for the past few chapters. God knows that Job is not being punished. The wisdom that Job's friends offer is, in fact, made up entirely of words without wisdom. 
The reading continues with a series of rapid-fire rhetorical questions. Where were you when the foundations of the earth were laid? Can you make it rain when drought has turned everything into dust? Can you hunt in the place of lions or in the, for the birds? It seems that God is reminding the friends of Job, and by extension us, that we are limited, clumsy creatures, not nearly so capable as many of God's other creatures. God stops short of saying, shut up and go away, but that is sort of the subtext. It's not that the friends of Job didn't have important work to do. That work would have been consoling Job. Job's life, after all, has been destroyed. But they don't choose to console. Rather, they choose to analyze and assign blame. In their ignorance, they make a bad situation worse. In this dialogue with God, Job says, Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. And to the unhelpful neighbors, God replies, I am angry with you because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Of course, we don't have to go back to the time of Job to observe this dark counsel. We just have to go back to the most recent natural disaster or mass shooting to hear voices offering words without wisdom. And political discourse should have its own category for extreme words without wisdom. The book of Job is the book that teaches us that not every bad thing is a punishment from God. In fact, none of the bad things in Job's life are punishments from God. If this is part of how we understand God, then we need a new understanding. We need counsel enlightened by wisdom, not darkened by ignorance. So let's move on to Mark. Here we find James and John, the scrappy sons of Zebedee, wanting to be rewarded. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now there's a broad request. Perhaps they want to win the lottery or live in luxury. But no, James and John want to be Jesus' number one and number two guys. That's not too much to ask. Their words, it seems, have been darkened by counsel without wisdom. They don't know what they are asking. And Jesus tries to let them down gently. Can you be baptized as I will be baptized? Can you drink the cup that I drink? We know that the cross is close on the horizon for Jesus and that the cup is filled with Jesus' own blood. But James and John, are they don't seem to know this. What these two lack in wisdom... They make up in confidence. The rest of the disciples are outraged. But Jesus responds, as he often seems to, with a bit of a non sequitur. Jesus offers a discussion on the role and responsibility of leadership. But it is the counsel of wisdom. In the Gentile world, leaders demand great deference. They want to rule over the little people. This, by the way, should sound familiar it is the system of our present-day world. Jesus is revising, is revising the way of the world. Job is the book we need when experience requires a new concept of God. 
Jesus is telling the disciples, and now us, that a new concept of God will require a new concept of leadership. In God's kingdom, rulers are servants. Jesus is here to serve, not to be served. If we want to follow Jesus, this is what we must do. We must be prepared to give up our lives. The good news for James and John is that they are getting what they asked for. And the bad news is that they are getting what they asked for. In a COVID-wearied world, I wonder what these stories may be telling us. Our journey through COVID tells us how much like the friends of Job we are. We want to respond to tragedy and destruction with judgment. Various government leaders were quick to assure us that COVID came from a failure or a deliberate plot in someone else's laboratory. Somehow Bill Gates and George Soros were involved. And various would-be prophets proclaimed that COVID was God's punishment on us for something wicked, probably something involving the LGBTQ plus community. This illustrates how we are still susceptible to counsel darkened by words without wisdom. But if COVID teaches us anything, it's that our lives are ever more intertwined, interdependent. You can't flip on a light switch here without activating a supply chain that wraps around the planet. Yet we tell ourselves that independence is more important than anything and that we must maintain it at all costs. This is an illusion, and it's a lie. Our God concept and our social societal concept have been left in the dust by our ever-changing world. The book we need is Job, and the sooner the better. Jesus teaches us that we must be ready and willing to allow our relationship with God to grow. God is present with us now, and disinformation notwithstanding, we can hear God speak as Job heard God speak out of the whirlwind. God's message? Love. Nothing more, nothing less. Love God, love neighbor, and love self. These three things are in fact one and the same. We just need to break with Job's friends and neighbors. We need to learn from James and John. Jesus' message was and is and always will be that we must grow in the way of love. <laughs>